Unlimited. with Paul Flaherty, a weekly show that focuses on mental health and well-being, Sundays on Lockray Community Radio, brought to you by Dignity Funeral Care, funeral directors caring for your peace of mind. Hello and welcome along to today's episode of Mind the Head here on Lockray Community Radio with me, Paul Flaherty. This show is very kindly brought to you by Dignity Funeral Care, dignityfuneralcare.ie for more information. Mind the Head is your weekly mental health and well-being show where I meet a variety of guests, some that are experts in their field and sometimes by guests that have overcome adversity and achieved personal challenges. Today's guest is Emma O'Sullivan, a young Cork woman who's battling an eating disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder, also known as OCD, for the last decade. Emma joins me today to share her very personal story and also how she started a campaign, Change with Emma, that involves fundraising for private OCD care and also advocating for a better mental health service in this country. Hi Emma, thank you for coming on to the show today. Thank you for having me, I really appreciate it. So, how's the head? It's it's okay today, having having a good day, yeah, so it's okay. And I suppose you take every day as it comes really, one day at a time. Definitely, yeah, I really, really find myself um, having to take it one day at a time, which is tough I suppose when you're in your 20s because you want to plan a future, but you know, I have to accept that it's it's kind of a, a, a daily process at the moment, yeah. Now, like I said in, in, your, in the introduction, you are currently battling an eating disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder, which is also known as OCD. Um, yes. I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. Thank you. Uh, I suppose <laughs> obsessive compulsive disorder, also known as OCD, maybe yes. can you tell us a little bit about what that is sure yeah so basically ocd um it has a lot of misconceptions um it basically it's can kind of go under a lot of different categories um it's something that can cause a lot of as the the name kind of suggests obsessive compulsive disorder so um, for some people, it's about contamination. It can be about religion. It can be about um, your relationships. Kind of, it can really cover a lot of different spectrums. Um, I think there's misconceptions about OCD. You know, you'll kind of hear a lot of people, "Oh, I'm so OCD." You know, I like to have my pens in a line, or you know, um, my my desk set up in a certain way, but. Um, Recently, there's been a study brought out that OCD is, I think, that one of the top five most debilitating um, both mental and physical illnesses because it, it's very, very intrusive. Um, the way I can explain it is, for me, it gets so severe that I, I just want to jump out of my own body and kind of run away from that, that fear. Um, and it's for me, it's around contamination. So... Um, it has made my world extremely small, you know, not being able to get on a bus, tra- travel on public transport. It, it limits really everything in my life. Um, and 
even eating, you know, certain foods I think are safe or not safe. The OCD definitely does affect eating then, which makes it harder to kind of have a day to day routine. So it's um it's quite complex. And unfortunately, there is hardly any treatment for OCD or much, much research done in Ireland at all. Can you remember how that first manifested itself? Yeah, um, looking back, I really do remember as a kid um, being afraid of uh, dirt, like constantly washing my hands. I would wash my hands until they were like raw red and kind of all, all cracked. And it was quite bad. But at the time, I think it was just something that wasn't really caught at an early age. Um, which I think now is so important and that's what I'm advocating for is to to really just be aware of these um, these signs that are coming up in people. Because I think if it was caught, it wouldn't have manifested over the years into um, anorexia and then full-blown OCD. Now, is it true that you were age 15 when you were diagnosed with anorexia? Yes, so I was, um, I was around... 14, 15. And at the time I was attending um, CAMS. So that's a um, child and uh, adolescent mental health care. Um, and unfortunately, I'm sure you've heard some of the stories, but CAMS um, is quite a controversial topic. Um, it was very, very hard attending CAMS. And that whole system, if you talk to anyone who's been in the CAMS system, it needs because I was so ill. Um, and unfortunately, that is down to the mistreatment um, of, of the CAM system. So it kind of, at that time, I, I didn't really want to accept how bad the treatment was in Ireland. I thought, okay, this is just me. This is just an experience I'm having. I'm alone in all of this. Um, but it's really not. And to anyone out there listening who has kids going through mental health issues or autism issues, um, there there is a big community of people who are going through um, mistreatment and really, really want change in their lives. And I think we all need to just stick together and try and try and find that. When you say mistreatment, do you mean, is there a lack of resources? Because we've heard so much about so yes, much money being yeah. put into mental health. Is that yeah. what the main fundamental problem is, that there's just no money? So I think there is definitely... Um, underqualified professionals um, and that's a funny sentence to say underqualified professionals because they are professionals but I don't think the research is up to date on a lot of the mental health issues that our kids and adolescents and adults are presenting with but is also, that because there is a delay in kind of what's happening now and I think so the kind of education that's been given up to now has been kind of perhaps out of date yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know what? Like 
my my main thing is i i want the service users and by service users i mean people in the mental health system to be able to help and advise the ministers and the people setting up these mental health institutions and and hubs to be able to be involved in um sitting in on interviews for these people that are coming in looking at the facilities is this what we need because the people that are running them oftentimes they've done the academic work Mm -hmm. but that's only academic work Mm -hmm. that's not real life you know and that's where the cold face stuff you know meeting real people that are going through these issues yeah the big gap is Mm -hmm. you know because i have been until i've been through this massive ocd flare-up um I've been to the A&E, the mental health A&E, and, you know, I I had one time been so, just so distressed, I had been spraying my my hands with Dettol cleaner, and my hands were all cracked, and they were sore, and I was there begging them to just take me and help me, because I I physically couldn't imagine myself going on for another day, living for another day. Can I ask you about that, if you don't mind... That yeah. particular instance you're talking about where you were spraying your hands with Dettol. Yeah. Obviously, you know the seriousness of that. But just taking yes. that aside, what's going through your your mind or your head when you're yeah. in that sort of a, you call it a flare up? Yeah. 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 So basically, it's, um, it's very interesting. So I and a lot of people who have OCD and different mental health issues, I'm a very logical person. But logic and OCD don't go to, they don't go together. So I could be saying, I, I know I don't need to spray this on my hands, but the OCD is so strong that I feel that I need, the only way I can feel safe is to do this, is to do this compulsion, is to do this rumination. This is the only thing that I can do to make my anxiety lessen. Um, so that's kind of in short the process and it's very hard for people to understand um because you know a lot of the times it's just like you know if you're logical about something you know you shouldn't do it and you don't do it but um unfortunately our brains are very complex Mm. and and it just it's not that simple you know um but yeah and then from from that experience just being turned away from A&E, being turned away from from services and and being told there is, you know, just to go home and take take try a different medication. Um and you're stuck in this this loop as a as a service user in these mental health um kind of community positions for years and years. And it's just I, I think people are trapped, you know, people aren't healing and they're just being kept in the same position, really. What's a, a typical day like for you now at the moment, Emma? Yeah, so uh, it really differs, to be honest. So I try and have as much as a routine as possible. Um, I can't really eat at home because of... I'm afraid like that the 
knives and forks and everything, I can't get them clean enough. So I would have to go out to a certain place where I think is safe enough for me to eat. So I'm dependent on other people quite a lot. Um, then it's just trying to get through the day, trying not to, you know, be triggered by anything too much. And if I am, you know, there's panic attacks. And then there's trying to sort out again, lunch is where can I eat that's safe that I find that's not, that I won't be too stressed about. And the whole day kind of continues like that, where I'm just consistently afraid of getting sick um, or contracting something. Um, it, it's very rough. And if you were to kind of meet me out and about or like talk to me, I often kind of get, oh, geez, I wouldn't think you're going through anything at all. Or like, you don't look like you're going through anything. But mm -hmm. I think it's it's that kind of misconception that, you know, your neighbor's probably going through something mm -hmm. like that. And you don't even know because mm -hmm. I think for years we have this idea of men somebody with mental health issues being, you know, having this mad look or looking a certain way. But, you know, I get up in the morning and put on my makeup and get dressed and put on a mask basically of of what society kind of expects from from me so um yeah it must be not alone physically exhausting but also mentally you must be just so tired it's honestly um so so exhausting i mean just wanting to constantly sleep you know because it's you, yeah, as you said, it just gets so mentally exhausting to to try and try and reassure myself, try not to reassure myself, you know, trying not to think about what I'm thinking, trying to fight against what I'm thinking, um, and then on top of that, not getting not getting the help. And when I finally admitted I need help with this, I realized actually there there is no help with this and the only way that i can get help is is to go privately and then the insurance companies don't cover um pre-existing conditions which most mental health issues are pre-existing so unfortunately mental health is taken as a, a secondary health issue which is so so wrong you know now, we will talk about your campaign in a few minutes, but the, the point you've raised there yeah. about the mental health, or sorry, about the insurance companies not recognising the mental health issues, is that something that you are hoping that yes. will change? Um, you know, it's very difficult with insurance companies because obviously there's a lot of red tape, you know. Um, I, I'm trying to be realistic I, I don't know how the I, I don't know if the insurance companies would change those policies. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you you know yourself with like car insurance, any type of insurance, there's no emotion in it really. It's just kind of on the dot, mm -hmm. you know. Um I mean I would love for that to change, but I think for me, if if I could create some change, or if I could try and create some change, it would be on the ground and it would be in the the public mental health mm -hmm. um, 
sector because if that was better if that was more equipped um and if the funding was put into that then there would be less need for mm. people to go privately mm-hmm. um and you know i have spoken to ministers and i've been told the amount of funding that's gone into the mental health um public mental health sector but when you do the research yourself um anyone can have a google and have a look up what has actually been spent on mental health in the last in the last term um it's it's nothing you know you hear all these figures that are being spent but it's simply not there and i mean you can put all of us in a room and you'll get the same answer there's there's no real support and the people that are there are overworked probably um so you know unfortunately i think we're all just seen as a number and an ex patient and the funding isn't there the research isn't there and the up to date education just isn't there so i mean what i'm trying to do um i'm one person i'm i'm still going through all of this but i'm trying to campaign as much as i can i would love to be a speaker on this issue in in colleges you know for upcoming psychologists psychiatrists to let people know what the service users needs are um because thankfully you know i've found i've always been a very quiet person but i find a voice going through all this because i've been trampled on really by by the public mental health system and i've just had enough of it um and i i think maybe some listeners will will kind of um relate to that that you just get to a point where you've had enough of something and it's time to speak out you know it's time to do something about it i think in ireland we're just so used to being like okay that's you know that's fine we accept, accept the problem them, yeah, accept the status but we're not going to do anything about it um and you know i don't want anyone to have to go through what i've gone through especially kids you know so many kids going through awful situations and they're being turned away so anything that i can do to help i'm trying to um yeah yeah that was bringing me on to my next point which is about your campaign change with Emma. Yeah. And of course mm-hmm. it's it's your own personal story. And it is, yeah. How did you feel or did it take you how long did the, did the thought process go into going public with your story take? Oh my gosh, so it took a lot. It took a lot of me really sitting even with my family in appointments crying begging for help to just i need to go to hospital i need to i need care i need proper treatment and just being sent home again and again and again and just being like it took really my life being at risk for us to sit down and be like okay we need to do something because i'm not going to have a life i'm not going to have a quality of life if we don't do something so the, when the first article came out i mean we were all terrified i it took months for us to even even consider i never ever i'm such a private person never thought i would do anything like this um 
but it, it came to the point where we we literally had nowhere else to turn we did everything we could contacted everyone we could people you know we contacted ministers politicians doctors psychiatrists psychologists everyone you're supposed to contact and nothing nothing was done so it, it just had to come out really yeah you've mentioned your kind of family there and they always say it's a good idea to have a very good support network around you and obviously you have that yeah how important yes. is that i think it's majorly important but it's also you feel a lot of guilt because i think your family members nearly turn into to carers you know at a certain point and it shouldn't be like that you know they don't they're not qualified to help when it's really bad and i feel like when it gets to a certain point there should be professionals there and and facilities there to to help and it shouldn't be on the families all the time you know um but thankfully i do have an amazing family and it is really important even if it's not family members but just to have somebody that you can reach out to and and talk to when you're even just having a bad day you know mm. so on the back of kind of coming out with your public story um you went on to organize a fundraising event yeah. during the summer i mm-hmm. know that there's been a few people that were at that event that have been on this show um keith russell um yeah Shortall, Dara, mm-hmm. Dara fleming i think was at it as well Dara, yeah. yeah um how how did that come about yeah so initially it was um my family members organized it and they kind of did everything um and it just came about because i had started the gofundme and unfortunately it's going quite slow and so my family decided to do a fundraiser event and make it into kind of a mental health awareness event as well um so luckily um i had you know amazing just amazing people like Lizzie and Dara mm. and Keith. They they agreed to come down to Cork and and be on a panel. We had an amazing discussion, um, and it really just turned into a positive day of just being able to be open and have conversations. And um, yeah, so it, it turned into something I think a bit a bit more meaningful than than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm so thankful to them because, you know, we need more people like Lizzie and Keith and, and Dara. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all doing such amazing stuff and, mm-hmm. and writing and being creative and, and just letting people know, like, mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dara is a young guy and he's writing books and doing all these things. And yeah. I definitely say give them a listen to because they're just so inspirational. Do you have any plans for any further uh, fundraising events like that? Um, I hopefully will have some some sort of fundraising events. We don't have any solid plans yet. Um, it's really trying to get get things in place and people together. But hopefully in the near future, going to have some 
have some plans but i have um an instagram page i've kind of dedicated to my mental health journey and um my advocating work it's mm -hmm. um change with emma so um any news will kind of be on there yeah now with the fundraising that you're doing because you're looking to get um help with your ocd maybe can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what kind of help you would be getting yeah so um basically i am yeah i'm fundraising to get help with ocd um there are no ocd programs in the public mental health system um after a lot a lot of searching and so there when you is, say there's no sorry when you say there's no yeah. there's no um there's no so if for example there's no help at all for no no for OCD. so i for example i have even we've rang around every hospital like for example cuh have rang them in the the mental health unit up there and you know the answer that i get in in every place is oh we wouldn't have anything for that you'd need to go you need to go privately for that um isn't that, basically you'd, isn't that incredible and and you wouldn't believe it yeah. until you're in the situation um you know if if people really really don't kind of believe it i'd suggest just give them a ring and ask for yourself but yeah. um they're basically all that i have been offered is to 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 go into and have a 48-hour admission, which is just, I'd be in a room, um, medicated, and that's it. Like, there's no recovery. There is no working on the OCD. Um, and the only answer I get is, it's better off dealt with in the community. And that's from talking to a lot of different people who've gone through eating disorders, OCD. That's kind of a phrase they use a lot. And I think it's because they don't have enough beds. They don't have enough resources. So they try and fob as much people off as possible to just go home and deal with it yourself, you know. This might be a kind of a loaded question. I don't have to answer if you don't want yeah. to. But do you feel, is there enough compassion towards your condition? Um, I would say... Uh, there's a lot of compassion from the the people around me and yeah. and um, people I've met, but I think because maybe the mental health system is so overrun, and they, I I have felt there has been not a lot of compassion. Yeah. Just being brutally honest, yeah. um, I I really felt going into a lot of appointments. Um, I've felt heartbroken and crushed and angry um, because really just not being listened to, um, being sent home time and time again, just in such a bad state. And that's not just me, like I've made connections and there's so many other people that feel that way. Um, that it's just really feels like we're back years and years mm. i mean it's 2022 and we're still being treated like this and if you do voice your opinion if you do have a strong opinion you're then kind of 
being looked at in another way because they don't like you having an opinion. You know, it's either their way or or you're disengaging, you know. Um so yeah, I mean I'm I'm continuing to speak up because I I don't think it's right the way anyone's being treated and especially the way I've been treated. It's some of the stories it's just unbelievable and it's it's not right. Well, I think you're doing an excellent job bringing all this into the public domain and into the forefront because like what you're going through is is so tough. It's really yeah. restricting your mm-hmm. life. You're kind of being so prohibited from all the things that you should be doing, but you can't. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um yeah. So the change with Emma campaign, you've got a um, GoFundMe page. Details are available on your uh, Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be be available on my Instagram. Yeah. And I really think you should seriously consider what you were talking about going around to colleges and even schools, because the earlier this is is kind of um, brought to parents' attention, the, the better. Definitely, yeah. the better, you know, and I, I would love to do something like that. And um, I suppose my, I, I really have a passion for, for advocating and for letting people, I've learned so much throughout this. I, I didn't know anything about rights or politics or anything before all of this, but um, having learning a lot, I, I know now what, what are your rights in these sort of situations. And I want to teach more people especially families going through it for the first time. Um, so hopefully that's something I can do in the in the future. Yeah. Have you learned anything about yourself? I have definitely learned that I um I think I'm a pretty strong headed person and I I, I think I'm stronger than I thought I was. And I think I'm more, I've grown so much throughout this process. I was always really quiet and I didn't really have an opinion about much things. I was always just that kind of went along with everything. Mm. I never kind of spoke up about anything, but it's it's empowering to kind of know that you are worth something and that you're worth the right help. And that every single human is is worth having a, a quality life, you know, just some sort of happiness. You know, everyone has bad days, but just to be able to have a quality life, I think, is all that I'm asking for and that people going through the system are asking for. And you could probably apply that to people who are going through disability services and, you know, autism services, homelessness, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might have already answered this question throughout the show, but my kind of one of my questions yeah. to you is if the Minister for Health happens to listen to this show today, um, yeah. what would you say to him? Um I would say just just to just to come and let the the people in the in the system be part of the process of setting up and being involved in the quality of these systems. Um, also, just to stop putting figures out there that aren't actually being used um, and to start treating people with
mental health as 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 people you know because we're being turned away from hospitals and people are dying because of of the lack of care and that really is the responsibility of the minister for mental health uh the minister for health and um, because that trickles down into the running of of hospitals and care units mm-hmm. um so they have a lot of responsibility on their shoulders and i don't think they they take that seriously enough so maybe just to come off social media um and come into the real world a little bit and and meet with us and and talk to talk to us about what really needs to be done and as somebody that is battling ocd if anybody listening yeah. along to this show is also going on a similar has a similar, a similar story to you. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you're not cured of it. Yes. Yeah. But on a kind of a day to day basis, would you have any words of comfort perhaps to offer them? Uh, yeah. So I would definitely, as hard as it is, um, anyone who's going through OCD probably knows what exposure is. Um, just, try and expose yourself as much as possible even to to little little things that you're afraid of um the only way through it is is sitting through uncertainty and i know how painful that is and i know how uncomfortable it is um but it's it's the only way and and just try and and reach out to the mental health community um even on on social media because there is such such a massive a massive group of us um and don't be afraid to even get in touch with myself like i'm i'm completely open to having a chat anytime um and definitely advocate for yourself and and speak to what you need and what you feel you need and if you if you feel like in your heart there's if there's something wrong or you're being treated in a wrong way voice that and be true to yourself and know that it's it's gonna it's gonna get better. There, there's more of us out there, and you're you're not alone. Mm, okay. Um, we're coming towards the end of the show, Emma. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's you're no quite problem. inspirational, I have to say, and I really think you should seriously oh. consider taking yeah. more of a an advocate kind of role in this subject. Yeah, I'd I love think to. You'd be really really good at that. I'd love to do that. Yeah. I would yeah. Um. All I can say really is, I suppose, best of luck with your with your Thank journey you. and your fundraising. I really hope that it that it all works out. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate any opportunity to to share my story and to try and try and help other people. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to have a, a catch up with you at some point in the future. Definitely, I'd love. And that. just to remind people once again about your Instagram, it's Change with Emma. Yeah, so it's, uh, I think it's change underscore with Emma. And then also your details of your GoFundMe are on that Instagram. Or if you just go yes. to GoFundMe and just yeah. search change with Emma, I'm sure you'll you'll find it there yeah. as well. It's also yeah, linked you'll find it there. on our um, social media, on Facebook, Lockray Community Radio. And you should see the post there from Mind the Head and you'll see the change with Emma post and the details are all there of that. Okay. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
And that's it for today's episode of Mind the Head. Thank you so much for listening along. Thanks to today's sponsor, Dignity Funeral Care. I'll be back with you again very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Mind the Head with Paul Flaherty, a weekly show that focuses on mental health and well-being. Sundays on Lockray Community Radio, brought to you by Dignity Funeral Care, funeral directors caring for your peace of mind.